Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Tori Gray, CEO and founder of The Gray Dot Company on the topic of the changing face of consumer engagement. Let's get started. And welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Tori Gray, CEO and founder at The Gray Dot Company. Welcome, Tori. Thanks for having me. And we're talking today about the changing face of consumer engagement. And uh, you know, digital intelligence is really right there at the forefront of, of all of that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, Tori, best way to start this off some of your background, maybe you talk about what you do, the, the company, then we'll just jump mm-hmm. in. Absolutely. So as you said, I'm Tori Gray. I'm the CEO and founder of The Gray Dot Company. You've already been lovely and hosted my uh, co-founder um, and chief digital officer, Sam Torres, um, earlier on the show to talk a little bit more about this uh, digital market intelligence or consumer intelligence. And um, we run a, it's an SEO and data agency, um, and we are really piloting our foray into research insights, intelligence data for companies digitally. So we come by it naturally. We love data and we love marketing. So at the intersection is how do you make better business decisions um, using the data that's already available out there. Um, I've been doing this for 15 years overall in-house in product management roles and um, in agencies as as well um, and and freelancing. And now we're running the show and doing our own thing and helping clients really, really scale, grow less painfully um, with a good partner that will hold their hand and tell them what they need to know when they need to know it. Well, it's some. It's certainly uh, a a space that is heating up. It's it's mm-hmm. become more and more important. It's not just one of those where strategically minded companies are thinking, "Hey, we need help around marketing." You have you know average companies that are saying, it's "Like you know, the traditional marketing channels are not as effective." Mm-hmm. Um, I think mean, we've been hearing this for years that email marketing, you know, it, it kind of ebbs and flows, but you know, numbers are down on that. People are so overwhelmed with some different channels uh, and certainly phone calls. I get angry every time the phone calls and it's a number yeah. I don't recognize. The, the, nobody who answers their phone in you, anyway, you know, you wait. To oh, find and the out. text messages now too. Oh, and they're right. going to pretend they know you. Right. Also, with, with so much of that, I mean, it's so important to better understand who your customers are, your partners are, um, to understand the customer journey and curate based on that. Um, so it, you need to have that intelligence to effectively market in the modern era. Absolutely. I think it's really, really critical to standing out, especially if you don't have that research rigor in-house. You know, if you're not Clorox, if you're not PNG, you probably don't have a dedicated team around that. And if you aren't big enough to have a dedicated um, budget around getting, say, a Forrester report or something along those lines, like what are the solutions for you? So this is a rapidly evolving industry, and I think we're all exploring how do we better leverage this research um, for everyone that isn't in those buckets, you know, that haven't historically gotten to benefit from the this plethora of data. 
Well, that and that's I think that's a great point because when we think about a lot of these examples and we automatically go to the huge companies. I've worked with mm-hmm. Hewlett Packard, I've worked with Microsoft, I've worked with IBM years ago, and these are companies that can afford to go out and purchase the headcount, you know, have the people or, yep. or the bring in the the, the Gartners, the Foresters, the yep. the big consultancies um, to do this kind of fundamental research and then take the time knowing that it's going to take a, a year or more to start to get the data back from these efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not uh, if you're a 50 person company, you're likely not going to go and, and do focus groups to figure a lot of this out. You just kind of take the data, take the online tools as do the best you can to go and find this information. And that's why it's good to work with a company that has a methodology that can scale a lot of that enterprise class research and knowledge Mm -hmm. into the everybody else. Like what's the percent of 80% of companies that are below 500. I think it's that. Yeah, and it puts us, these smaller companies, at a disadvantage um, to not have this data. So can we do it in a budget-friendly way? Can we do it in a time-sensitive way? Because we need to move quickly and we don't want to slow down and we can't afford to slow down in the way that maybe some of these bigger companies can. Um, And can we do it at scale, right? We don't want to depend anymore on this I'm going to talk to 10 former coworkers and clients and get their insights. And maybe I do a man on the street survey. So it doesn't, you're only talking to so many audiences and you don't have broader insights into how that is going to affect the market um, at scale. So yeah. that is, I think the disconnect and how do we connect the dots and get that done for people. And the good news is that's doable. Well, I, and I kind of a foundational question. I know I, I talked with uh, Sam at length around you know, the definition of digital consumer intelligence. Maybe you could mm-hmm. recap that, how how you look at that, what that actually means and why it's crucial in mm-hmm. today's business landscape. Yep. I think every business has questions that they want to answer. They want to have better prioritization. They want to know what products to build and what features on what products to build. They want to know what resources to hire for and they want to know where to hire them. Um, they want to know what's happening with their competitors and, and how people are responding to their competitors. Um, these are all kind of classic examples of the data that we can pull and answer on behalf of our clients, again, at scale. So I think it's, you know, when you think of the Gardner reports, the the McKinsey decks, the Forrester reports, like what are those insights and can we make them more actionable? more detailed and can we not spend 250 plus k in order to do it that's the key right there <laughs> right there at the end i well it, uh, yeah i and i think that there are a number of tools that companies use that that fit into this i mean for for years at two different companies my team was responsible for um, the employee satisfaction surveys twice a year, as well mm-hmm. as the customer and partner surveys. So mm-hmm. they did a, like an all up at the, you know, once a year, as well as a mid year of each of those. And that's like, that's just one example of collecting mm-hmm. this information. Now, yeah. how you actually create and shape there's effective and less effective surveys and, and ways mm-hmm. to do that. Um, yep. But there was a lot of weight that was put behind this at the these two companies. Um, 
And, yeah, and they, it, it's important data and you and you want to collect that, but you're also confined to who's going to fill out that survey and are, who's going to take the time to do that. You probably have people at either end of the spectrum, right? The few people that are really, really happy and are willing to take the time and the people that are very upset about it. But what about everybody in the middle and how do they feel? Because that's volume too. But, you know, if you have a big enough company and if your competitors are big enough, we can tell when people are having customer service issues because they're going to Google their frustrations and look for answers for their customer service hub. And guess what? I can count how frequently they do that and how much they do that versus this other feature that they wish they had, you know, whether or not the competitor has it today, like are people looking for X, Y, Z, we can quantify that for you. And I think that that's meaningful data that people aren't getting their hands on today. You know, it's funny. So before we started recording, we were talking about all the, the the growth of the explosion of the AI tools and all the things that are out there. I was talking about is actually you just reminded me that that's that's like a category of videos that you see on Instagram and you see on YouTube ads and things that are out there. Um, you know, like go go and uh, like a hey, did you know there's this cool tool that allows you to go and you identify your competitors and it will show you what ads that they're running and where they're mm-hmm. more, what keywords are most important to them. And, Spy and, and mm-hmm. like all, all those kinds of, of tools, all of these little tools and solutions that give you like one little view into what's happening with in your, mm-hmm. your, your community or with your competitors, yeah. the things that are out there. The hard part is pulling all those data points together and getting intelligence out of it. Because one thing to do data collection, it's another thing entirely to build intelligence out of that. Yeah, to make it make sense. Right. To tell a story. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want to specialize in. Again, we've been doing this for a long time. We're building search strategies for people, but we're also paying attention to people's behavior, say on social. So not only what do they look for and what are they seeking, but what are they doing about it? So can we take the data from all these different sources? So again, going back to your question of like, what the heck is DMI and what is market intelligence in the digital realm for here? You know, it's what are people searching for? on Google? And what are people taking action on on TikTok? What are they watching? What are they engaging with? Or it's YouTube, or it's Reddit. We can do that sentiment analysis. We can pull those pieces together. We can use machine learning and AI to pull this data together in meaningful ways and in a very customized way. So rather than the tools that you discussed where everything is highly structured and they've thought through all of this in advance and they want to tell you these big buckets, it can be instead tailored to your needs and the questions that you're asking today that fits your team and your budget. Um, Can we create something that's more custom, that's not Forrester, but that it's like really what you need today. And that's really what we're, we're trying to solve right now. Yeah. There, there's a, and I thought of another example of, uh, of the actionable, um, you know, intelligence out of Mm -hmm. these data points. Um, where I, so I was uh, working in marketing for a uh, past company a few years back where got into just a heated battle with the COO of the company over the fact that we had completely redesigned and thoughtfully redesigned. It was a great design for the, the site, um, but we saw like a 30, 40% drop in traffic with the new site, mm. but, but doubled the level of engagement. So our numbers, so sales went up, so engagement numbers went up with fewer Mm. people on the site. Mm. But his sticking point was that there were fewer people on the site. I'm like, 
Yeah. You know, so if you get more so, conversions, do you care? Are they right. better for well, qualified I mean, conversions? Well, do you so draw I just more kept revenue? It's like it's a, like our focus is conversions. It's conversions, but mm-hmm. um, but again, understanding what we didn't have deeper insight into some of what was happening, and and uh, one of my arguments was maybe the numbers were inflated. We have better data now. Did we did we have the traffic that we thought we did? But yeah. the important one was the conversion rate. So I mean, yeah. th- that's just an example of, you know, understanding why that's happening and constantly looking at that is that a, a, another problem that I have is uh, that I've had talking with clients with this um, is that they look at it as like the one time we go and build that it's like, well, it's constantly moving and shape and changing. Yep. And, and you know, people need to understand that it's, it's, it's a, you know, it, it's a, there's a cultural change in the way that you look at the the customer experience the data that you're pulling in and you need it it just evolves and changes how you then build product build provide services around Mm -hmm. that absolutely um and i think that that can vary depending on your company size and and frankly like are you hardware are you a physical product versus are you software how quickly can you pivot and move you know maybe that's yearly data, maybe that's quarterly data, maybe that's every single month because you want to see how it's changing. Or maybe like, you know, let's use the classic example of COVID, behavior, consumer behavior just changed overnight. And people started looking for things and people started consuming things and buying different things wholesale. And so sometimes there's a worldly event, but sometimes there's also just changes in your space because a competitor comes and offers an intriguing new feature or a new product line. And you want to know if that's hitting. Um, And that stuff just changes. And so I think if we can make this accessible to people, um, that is going to be more meaningful and means that we're not going to be as slow as, uh, you know, the big companies of the world. We can still move quickly like we want to as a smaller business and like we need to, but we can do it based in data um, instead of based in gut or based in very small sample sizes. Yeah. Well, that's, it's, it's another thing, again, my just personal experience for people listening in, you know, having worked with some of these large uh, working with a Gartner, working with Forrester worked for companies where they paid a lot of money in and a lot of their insights, I get they they, they move slowly and mm-hmm. some of their, their data and their insights in my experience was already outdated. Like I could yeah. see that from my interactions. And so, uh, uh, it, and not because they were looking at such, I mean, the benefit of that is that they're working with a broad number of companies that mm-hmm. a smaller firm might not you know, work with. And these, you know, of all sizes, mostly on the enterprise scale, um, you just look at that data differently. But again, it's, it's something that is, uh, it's, it's slower. It takes time to get there. It's expensive mm-hmm. to get there. And it yep. was not as actionable as when we work mm-hmm. with smaller vendors. Yep. It might also not be as truthful, frankly, because depending mm-hmm. on the subject matter, you might hide things from a survey, whether that's because you're uncomfortable with the surveyor and you want to have a better, you know, you don't want to admit this embarrassing thing to them or tell them the real reason why this matters or convey how important it is to you, or maybe you don't know yourself, or maybe you're lying to yourself, but people's behavior doesn't lie. And people's 
willingness to Google things don't lie. They look for things that they might not fill in in a survey. You know, we can suddenly see a bit more of a, a truthful understanding of what they're doing. And obviously that will vary by subject matter. Um, but, you know, in addition to the, the time, the cost, the actionable changes there, I think there's also just a interestingly more accurate in many ways. Well, that's what, one of the reasons I really like, so like years ago, 20, wow, 23 years ago, worked with a, a UX firm that, um, that they helped us with the design of a new product that was getting ready to launch. Mm -hmm. And uh, interesting enough that they didn't change that UI that we developed back in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. uh, it, almost 20 years before they changed the UI for it. It, it was, uh, it was very slick. Um mm -hmm. They, we did a nice job. It was very simple. But anyway, but that experience of watching them working with this vendor that we brought in to help with that user interface design and for them being part of the, you know, the alpha of the testing out of this system mm -hmm. that we we're building. I was a product manager and them asking those questions like, why did you click that? What did you expect to happen there? What are you, what are you thinking now here at, the, at this? Mm -hmm. And looking at all of that, now, of course, we have, there's free tools that are out there that allow you to go and look at your website of where people are actually clicking. You know, that kind of, again, it's one thing to have a, a tool that looks at a heat map on my website. Not mm -hmm. very useful to me because it's not in context to anything else. I don't do anything with that data. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. But if you Where don't they know click? what you're doing, right. The things they can click on. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it, it's a, but it's, it's kind of like this, the same thing, looking at your Google analytics for your, for your website. It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what does it all mean? How does that translate into whether, you know, I'm actually growing or not, you know, mm -hmm. um, the hard part is putting all, putting all those pieces together. I'm interested to understand, like when you're working with a new client, mm -hmm. like what is your methodology? What is your approach? And do your customers generally understand all the pieces or are you doing a lot of training you know, with them to, to help them to understand what they've asked for, or how you help deliver on the outcomes that they believe that they're, they're looking to get out of an engagement? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'd say typically how it goes, and th this evolves over time because I this is ultimately an industry in an in, in its infancy. So hmm. it is rapidly evolving, but I think for the most part, people don't know that this is data that you can use, that you can get your hands on, or they view it in a very discreet way. It's very specific. They want to know, I have an answer about this. Tell me if this is more or that's more. And they limit it to that worldview. So when we approach this, it's it's very much a conversation and it's trying to understand what questions are you looking to answer? And we wanna know about your team. How can you leverage this? Um, how do we format a deliverable in a way that makes sense for those? Like the right level of detail, depending on the people, right? Cause an executive wants a lot less detail typically than the marketing manager or the brand manager. Um, and we want to understand your audience and where they're at. So when we understand those things, we're going to be able to narrow in better on where do we go look for this data? Is this your company's first party data? Because guess what? We can use that too. Is this, we want to be able to leverage Google and see what people are looking for. Do we want to look at competitors or not? Or are we looking to Reddit and we want to understand how people are 
perceiving and talking about and engaging with this subject matter here? Is it TikTok? Is it YouTube? There's so many places we can look. And if it's publicly available in the web, or if it's your first party data, um, or you know about data sets out there because you have better industry expertise than I do in your industry, shock, mm -hmm. like we can use all of those pieces to pull this data together. Um, so we want to define where those pieces are at. And I think going through that process is a helpful step to process for clients, period. They, you know, they want to feel in control. They want to know what they're going to get. Um, you know, everyone wants to know that they're not wasting their money, but we approach that in a very custom conversational way. And then we're going to go do our research and we're going to pull insights together. And then we're going to be showing them that. And then we're going to have follow-up questions. So almost always what happens is I... I can know this data. So then that leads to, wait, can you answer this? Can you answer this? Can we do this? And it, it is really eye-opening and exciting what they can get their hands on. So we have e-commerce brands that are introducing new product lines based on our research about what are people seeking. That doesn't mean they don't use other data sources. It doesn't mean they're not using brand strategies. You know, this is data to help you make decisions um, overall. But I think there is a way to incorporate this data. And that's that's kind of how we we approach it. And I think a lot of people, I don't know, respond really well because sometimes we're validating their assumptions, but in ways that mean suddenly they can get resources for those things. You know, that product director that has not been able to get this initiative that they care about greenlit because where do they find that data? Um, and now we can, or we can test their assumptions and say like, actually people are looking over here and that puts them on the right path, yeah. right? Like whatever comes out of it, these new insights, I think that that's all meaningful and really is just tools in the toolkit to help you move in the right direction, you know, in a reasonable way. And in, in a way that the clerks of the world can do and maybe can do more quickly than the rest of us can, but we don't have that budget and the time to set up that department to make that happen. So it's, it's, it's a way I interpret a lot of that is it's kind of like the age old business analyst problems. Like you want to ask the, the customer, uh, you know, for their requirements or, you know, what are their, the outcomes that they want to see there, but they're basing those requirements, those outcomes on their lens of understanding today. Absolutely. Yep. And then that evolves over time. And so that's, that was always the dilemma. You know, I, I started out my career 30 plus years ago as a business analyst going and sitting with customers. You ask somebody like, well, what do you want to mm -hmm. do? And they give you the world and then, but they're, yep. or, or they give you, well, I know we have these limitations. This is actually the more common. I know there's these limitations and I know we have this. And, and so then you know, do you then show them what the new technology with the new capabilities can do? Because then they start asking, like it opens up their minds to, mm -hmm. hey, I could be asking for all these other things, which isn't yep. necessarily what they need to get mm -hmm. to that that outcome. So there's kind of a, it's always divided on, you know, how much you show the new technology, uh, but really focus more on the outcome side of things what are you actually trying yeah. to achieve what can we turn around and and yeah I, I, people get excited when they see that it's like i didn't know that i could get this kind of information mm -hmm. they did start thinking of entirely new ways of doing their job yeah exactly i mean i think those things are really important to define and, and you don't 
inherently know the limitations, especially when you don't know that these data sources are inherently available. And then you might make very quick assumptions about what that is. So for example, let's talk about like timeline. So when I'm picking what data sources I want to look at to pull your answers, like, am I looking at historical data or am I looking at trend data? Um, am I using Google Trends or Pinterest Trends to try and find and predict what's happening in the future? Or do I want to understand what happened in the last 12 months? We want to use the right tool and the right data source for the job. So you have to know what those are in order to select those well. And that's why we like to make these very tailored and custom. In one specific example, I think it's really important to understand that. And it's part of why people aren't already using these data sources because they don't know what's out there and they don't know how to use it and they don't know its limitations. What are some of the misconceptions around you know, uh, going down this path and, and looking more closely and understanding the data? Do, do, do people come in with, with uh, do you have to kind of tame their ideas there of the, what's actually possible to go and do or the time frame or the amount of data and effort it takes to, now, to get to their, their big dream around this data? No, you'd be surprised. I think I'd say for the most part, everyone thinks too small of, of what it's, you know, there's, ex there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, I think when people think about this data, mostly you know, to use a, a classic example where everyone wants to start is how do I think about my brand positioning and what I call my product? Not necessarily in terms of your brand name, but more in terms of how you frame what your product is. So is this a workforce platform or is this, I don't know, a framework for HR providers or there's something, right? Like, what are you calling right. it? How are you helping people think about your product and how it fits in the overall marketplace in the industry you exist in. Yep. And when it comes down to it, like, yes, I can absolutely tell you that workforce platforms versus HR frameworks or something like that, like how many times people look for one versus the other. Um, but guess what? It's probably going to be 10 versus 30 searches a month. So we're not talking about statistical significance here and it's not meaningful enough realistically to drive your brand positioning strategy. Uh, maybe it's a data point, but I, I don't think that's meaningful because if you're trying to do branding, you're trying to tell a story about what's happening in the future. Right. But I don't think people understand, like, do you want to arm your sales teams? Do you want to understand what customer objections are? Do you want to deeply understand what their issues are at scale? So not just doing specific interviews, again, with those 10 clients you want to talk to, we can tell how many people are looking who are struggling with X problem versus B problem mm -hmm. uh, and, and how much are they complaining about this competitor versus that competitor. Mm -hmm. All these things are quantifiable answers. So I think it's a bit of a mind flip and an expansion of, oh, I can use it for this. I can do that help vetting new priorities because I want to build this and I want to build this and I have competing resources and I have to choose one. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to size a market, say you're an investor or you want to include great information in your deck because you're going out for your B round and you really want the right data that proves that the market is there for this, um, are people problem aware? Are they solution aware? Are they brand aware? We yeah. can define that. How big's the market? We can define your TAM, digitally speaking, and you can use that to, to make sure you're making the right decisions to grow, to understand where the market is at today in a very quantifiable way. Do you want more better insight and adding color to your personas? 
What questions are those users asking? What are their pain points? Where are they in the customer funnel? These are all definable, answerable things that we don't need to make suspicions on. We, we can answer this. It's concrete. It's out there. Well, and I like that you came back to that, to, to the, uh, the personas, the customer journey, the, and you mentioned earlier, like the sales, uh, you know, the salespeople and how they're, you know, how you're going to market, how you're out mm -hmm. there talking with customers and partners around that. That's something where, uh, it is, it's, it's amazing how fast it can change depending what your, what space you're in. Look, I'm in the software industry. And I, so I hear people that are engineers that are technical folks that complain like, you know, Microsoft and these other large Adobe and others, like they, they just seem to change every year, like the, the, the messaging and the positioning around the products, like, right. Because every, everybody hears that and no longer opens doors that no people aren't answering to those those calls and so they have to further the story along and and adjust for those competitive uh you know uh, changes it's mm -hmm. constantly evolving both the yeah. customer demands the partner ability the oems you know capabilities on top yeah. of that all of those are moving pieces and it's yeah. why you need to you, it's it's an escalator that moves up or down it doesn't just pause. Okay. Absolutely. Um, there's also a localization example. Like if you're mm. going to launch a new product, do you want to figure out the regions you want to go to first? I can tell you what those regions are and how they vary. Um, you know, we can see where we want to launch and we can also see that evolve because maybe thanks to TikTok, something's really taking off. And maybe, you know, we're putting out an example project right now on grills. So Korean barbecue, you know, is the new hotness and how many traditional grills are really been capitalizing. It's always one of the biggest hotnesses in my life. So, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not the Korean barbecue because that's a different place. Oh, no, 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 just not move away maybe from that. It's, it's good. <laughs> like the um, pork belly. That's the word I'm thinking of. Oh, like yeah. that is actually cooked on a grill and that is, is trending. And that means in the South, there's a different angle on this than there used to be. So how do we leverage those marketing trends in order to steal market share? And, and, well, and sell more and grow our business. You know, part of this too is that, I mean, there's been so much talk over the last, you know, 30 plus years around, well, well, I guess more 20 plus years. I was thinking back to mid to late nineties where you got into Seth Godin permission marketing, you know, that uh, idea of personalization, not that he created that, but he rode that wave mm -hmm. and we have, and, I, and it, it's funny. It's like um, one of the problems I have my first startup that I formed in business school in the late nineties and, sold the company, but we struggled with, you know, how that messaging and positioning, like we didn't know what to call ourselves. It's funny years later, as that space evolved, not that the labels that like the, the category categorization categorization was not there. We didn't know what to call ourselves, how mm -hmm. to refer to our products yeah. um, because it just didn't mature to that level. And I, and I, now I call it, I refer to it thinking 20 years ago, very mm -hmm. differently than I did when I was pitching it to VCs at the time yep. uh, and talking with our investors, talking with our board about it. Um, yep. We didn't have a lot of these tools. I mean, social didn't exist. The word blog wasn't a thing yet. Uh, you know, when we formed the company in 97, mm -hmm. uh, how uh, the benefits that we have of all of the the tools and, and yep. messaging just to stay on top of that stuff. Um, just because, yeah, it, it, so much changes so quickly. Oh yeah. Especially this year. In this yeah. year of AI. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a little exhausting to keep up on. We all just need to take a deep breath. There should be an AI tool that keeps track of all the AI tools that come out. That would be so useful. What is worth vetting? <laughs> What's going to stick around? Yeah. Well, if it, it, I mean, think about that too. I mean, really, if it understood my usage, my, uh, you know, my daily tools that I use and the things that I do mm-hmm. and could then suggest tools based on my work patterns today, that would be mm-hmm. incredibly That's valuable. Awesome. Yeah. Someone should go create that. Of course, then Tori and I get a piece of that because we discussed Yes. Yeah. Trademarked. That's right. Trademarked. Registered. <laughs> Copyrighted. Right here. Done. Uh, well, not until the the, the the podcast is actually published. So, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'll say it at that time because. Yeah, of course. That's when it'll be live. It'll okay. work out. All the documentation will be in place by the time this goes to folks. <laughs> yes. So don't, don't be going inventing without getting in touch with us. Um, yeah. No, it, it is. Um, we're talking about. Uh, you know, this, the, you know, are there specific tools and methodologies? Are there things that companies can be doing to prepare themselves to work with a company like yours to be thinking this, this way? I mean, what are some of the things which can help move people forward as they prepare to better leverage their own data, their own customer and partner data? Yep. You know, I would start thinking about the data sources in general and and what do they have their hands on today and what are they under leveraging and really defining their own questions to themselves and being clear about that. Because, you know, from my perspective, there's nothing better than asking the right questions because that's going to drive what is in your strategy ultimately. And if you're asking the wrong questions, then you're not putting together the right thing. You're you're just not going to hit it. So, um, you know, working with someone you trust, um, maybe that's us, maybe that's somebody else um, and and defining that for yourself and, and, you know, maybe leveraging your internal teams to do that as well. Um, Explore. What are you finding out? Do you feel comfortable with this data? You can test it. okay, well, it says that more people are looking for this versus this. Do we start to sell that? Do we start to sell more? Is that meaningful to us? Does that apply across channels, right? I think we can take those first steps and potentially explore working with vendors to really help um, really scale that quickly, sooner well, versus later. I mean, what you just described, it's, it's basically, we're talking about, you know, for a company to go and build a strategy around, you know, digital customer intelligence mm-hmm. to, to go into, to, I think that's a great way to start is ask those questions and maybe you can answer some of those, but mm-hmm. it, it, maybe don't just uh, look at it at, at uh, don't look, look down upon your organization. If the people they have in place doing their jobs can't answer those questions today, it's, it's like brainstorming, like don't yeah. be an editor to the brainstorming process ask the questions, get them out there. Some of them yeah. you should be able to, you you might be able to very easily come back and maybe your marketing team says, hey, we we're able to answer some of those questions. Mm-hmm. What questions do you want to ask? What yeah. do you want answers to? Um, and but that, that really is that you could piece together your initial strategy, again, based on your lens of understanding today until you yep. work with a partner, with a vendor that can help yep. move that forward. Yep. And also, I mean, don't hold your data analyst, you know, accountable for not knowing search and social data sources, because that's not 
you know, you can't be an expert in all the things all the time. So how do you expect them to know this? How do you expect Forrester to know how to use this? Because they're not search experts and they're not social experts. So do you understand the nuance of the customer funnel and how people are looking and what is the difference between the word and where they are in the customer funnel? Like there's so much nuance within all these channels, which is also why you should be incorporating um, your your product and, and strategy and, and marketing people across channels to figure out how do we leverage all these different sources better because the data is out there and we can be using it. And the data analysts can help us analyze the data once they understand how to get it and what to do, but you gotta know, you gotta know those pieces first, where it is, where you can pull it from, how to trust it, uh, what are those limitations? Like there's a learning curve like anything else. Yeah, well that's, and not doing what you do, but you know, understanding some of the, when I was a consultant, I mean, one of the things that I would do uh, for the piece that I would work with client around is is that discovery process to you know, understand what, what are you doing today Yep. Um, what data sources are out there? Um, what do you think is working well? What do you see and what, what, what's driving mm-hmm. that data? What, why do you think it's working well? Uh, and, and then where, where do you have known gaps, known weaknesses mm-hmm. where you want to improve? And, and so then we start applying that against the questions that they're asking that, that are out there. I think, again, you can develop very quickly a strategy of what you know you need to go and do. And, yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah one one other thought of this. Sorry to take it slightly sideways. Um, there there's so much uh, so much more interest in making sure that the methods that we're collecting data, um, whether competitive research customer information is done ethically, it's done the right way. Is that something that comes up a lot in, in with your customers as well? Are they concerned about that? Or it's just like, where can we get the data? Let's go get the data. <laughs> Don't tell us if we won't ask how you get the data. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously it varies by client. And um, I think some people naturally just care about that stuff more. I can say that we care about that and we care about the biases in our data because we know people are biased and therefore the data sources are going to be biased. That's how that works. And I think we are all globally struggling with how do we do that effectively and expecting clients to be ethical experts in something that they, you know, do they know how ChatGPT works and all like, that's just expecting a lot from a non-expert. So I think that's something you really need to um, ask good questions of and make sure that whoever you're working with does care and is working to remove that bias from your data. So you don't lean into that and perpetuate that um, according to the values of your business and your brand. I think that that is not done quite enough overall. Um, It's hard for us to see our own biases. Yeah, it it is. But I think there are, uh, you know, certainly with uh, there, there are increasing number of countries, regions that are um, more sensitive to and looking to like I always, we always bring up, you know, GDPR. We look at Germany Mm -hmm. specifically, um, and helping push that, but there are other countries that are doing. South Africa has similar initiatives. Australia has something very similar to GDPR. Canada does. Yeah, I, there's there's things that the U.S. is talking about doing that, and some states um, mm-hmm. pushing it more than others. So it's a 
I, I think one of the positive things is that that's happened over the last few years is that more people are sensitive to those topics. And, uh, and I think that just also the reality that more, even smaller companies are more global than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my company does business around the world. And so we're, 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 we want to, you know, effectively use our time and how we approach clients um, that it's, we have standards that are at the company level, no matter where we go, but that mm-hmm. we also are, are, are aware of the nuances of the different regions and countries that we work with as well. Mm-hmm. That's something that, well, I mean, it's critical for internationalization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, we, uh, we, man, I just don't remember having those. Well, I've worked for big companies early in my career, but we just never had those conversations. It just was an issue. Could we get the data? What could it tell us? That was mm-hmm. it. That was the end of that discussion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you're not asking the important questions and that might lead you to name a product, something that's offensive. Uh, I've, I've heard chat, chat GPT is not something good in French. I'm blanking on what it is, but it's something about a cat and like, it just is nonsense, <laughs> right? In certain languages. So understanding those uh, localized nuances and the ethical implications everywhere. Because the other thing is what like gendered languages and how often people are looking for one versus another in yep. those that those are hard things to conquer um it's and built so, into some languages and in others yeah. there's more flexibility so yep that's that's yeah. a difficult thing well yep. fi- final question for you i it, kind of the future looking i mean looking at kind of the consumption patterns the uh, behaviors that you're seeing kind of where is this space going i mean is, is mm-hmm. it besides the ai stuff which we covered mm-hmm. it's all but before the the uh the our computer overlords uh, become self-aware and change yep. everything but i mean how is this a space how is this space evolving Ooh, rapidly so there's a lot of interesting things happening i think we're seeing the gardeners the foresters even the mckinsey's moving very very quickly to innovate and you know i see them putting out more reports and sharing more data in a bit longer form because i think it used to be you drop your 150 250k and you get eight stats that you use to attempt to build your strategy based on and that hacked it 10 years ago but i think people expect more um partially because of ai frankly and now people might think that they can do this in-house um, in ways that they couldn't do that before, perhaps using these more traditional data sources. Um, so I think we're seeing the big guys scramble. I think we're also seeing the rise of a lot of um, automated data. So I've seen several different services where they're offering for 200 bucks a month or 500 bucks a month, you can get these reports, right? And you can subscribe and then you're getting these data insights about your industry, which might be useful, but PS, that's not a very high barrier to entry for anyone that wants to do this and everyone in your industry will subscribe. And then it becomes, you know, it's high level insights that are applicable to everyone because they want lots of people to subscribe. So we're, we're seeing things coming towards the middle a little bit. Um, and we're playing in that more custom space because I think that's what's meaningful right now. But I, I do expect in the future, 
more people to keep it. Yeah, I think ultimately this is a billion dollar industry and it is evolving and everyone's thinking about how they can get their piece of the pie. Um, and I think it's almost late for many of us getting in it today, frankly, because I think the Obama campaign has been using this data and that's partially why it did so well. They knew what issues were important to voters and they knew which cities were looking for more or less people. Like they used this data to put together an excellent campaign that ultimately got someone elected. And it's been how many years since then? And has anybody replicated anything like that success? Is any, who's doing that? And there are people doing it, but they're being quiet about it. Right. So. Well, I think, I, yeah, that I think some people got their fingers burned, you know, around that you have the, uh, the Cambridge Analytica, mm -hmm. different things around there. So I think, again, that, and I don't know, like I, that's a that's a different topic to go down to. That's like, a whole yeah. Because I, I think that there's some people that have gotten gun shy around things that hey, you could legitimately do that, and that's not the same thing. It's yeah. but but again, um, but you're right. It's totally it's, fair. But that's people volunteering a lot of detail in ways that is personally identifiable to them. Right that's not the data we want to pull. We don't want to personally identify. I want to look at trends at scale and what people care about. Um, and so maybe I'm biased. I'm obviously biased, but I think that that's a different approach. And it's also obfuscated data. Google is not telling me that level of detail about your demographics, right? Like I don't, we can, we can do this in a way that's meaningful and helpful to people. Um, and actionable and, and let's meet in the middle without stealing personally identifiable data from people and using it against them to radicalize them. How about let's not do that. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's uh there's going to be interesting uh, uh, legal cases to follow in some of that. For if you've not followed some of that, I actually know oh, yeah. a couple of the principles that were involved in to some degree is that, and it's very interesting. It's interesting oh, yeah. stuff, but uh, Ooh, yeah, different yeah. topic. Yeah. Good topic for another day. Well, Tori, really appreciate your time uh, today. And, and for folks that want to find out more um, uh, you know, to, to go to your site, you know, the gray period company. Yes. Um, so the great company. Company. The dot is the dot. Yeah, of yep. course. Yeah. I think it's great. Um, you can also go to the gray.co or yeah. And that's a, an easy way. If you're more comfortable with a co you'll get there. Of course, we'll have the links out on the podcast and out on the blog as well. So Tori, really appreciate your time. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a blast. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published weekly, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.